to Amazingly Deep Thoughts. Hello friends, I am your host, Melissa Schwor, a Bible-believing biblical counselor. This podcast is here to help all women keep on faithfully pleasing the Lord, to help the hurting heal, and to answer your specific Bible or counseling questions. So let's get into today's topic. Welcome back after a holiday break. It was a great Christmas season for our family, not too much going on, but there was still something every week to look forward to, and I am excited to be back here teaching at Amazingly Deep Thoughts. I've been working through the series of facts versus the Bible. Are there facts that actually support scripture and the biblical narrative? Today we're going to be talking about geological facts, and I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit intimidated because while I do understand it, Albert Einstein, I believe, said that if you can't explain something succinctly, you don't understand it well enough. So that is my prayer, that I can explain it succinctly and that I can explain it in a way that everyone can understand. The geological evidence that supports scripture largely supports the global flood. And the booklet that I recommend reading is a pocket guide to the global flood by the Answers in Genesis. We got this last year when we visited the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum. And it really covers everything in a little pocket guide. But I'm going to be honest, when I read it the first time, I just thought, what? This is a lot of words. A lot. It's not even a huge book, but it was so many words that I was unfamiliar with that it took some time to wrap my mind around the concepts that they were explaining. So some of this is really easy to understand, probably familiar to, to us when we talk about fossils, but some things when you're talking about different strata of rock layers can be a little bit like, oh, how do I even picture that? How do I understand that? So I'm gonna do my best. There are six key points in this. I'm just going to cover them briefly. But if there was no evidence to support a global flood, then we would be in trouble because (laughs) so much of history and biblical history goes back to the fact that not only are we a young earth, but that history as we know it started in the Fertile Crescent. It started around Mount Ararat. Anything that you hear of that's prehistoric pretty much just means they made it up. (laughs) So everything that has historical or factual evidence stems from that key point of where we can see life has happened. And that evidence in and of itself, the fact that it begins around the Fertile Crescent, is supportive of the narrative of Scripture and the global flood. And you will see that there are, in every different civilization, there is some type of lore or some type of legend that points towards a global flood. Specifically, you can look at China's symbol for boat has to do with a flood and nine people. Um, I could have that wrong, but I'm fairly certain that's what it is. Also, I I know that I went to, um, in our area, we have a lot of fossils. And, and when I went to this one park, 
they were talking about this massive flood and all of the evidence of the flood and the fossils that it created. And they said, we used to think that the flood was 125,000 years ago, but now we realize it's a lot closer than we think. So they brought it to like 40,000, another 15,000 years ago. So the facts really push towards the fact that this massive flood that nobody who believes the evolutionistic narrative will say that it's global, but they acknowledge that there is evidence of a massive widespread flood that happened within thousands of years, not millions of years. So that all by itself points towards, um, towards the evidence of a global flood. There's a lot of reasons why um, dating, carbon dating, those things aren't accurate. Um, dating things based on how things deteriorate currently aren't applicable to how things have always been. Um, you can see that in so many different things, but that's besides the point. I just want to understand that dating when floods happen, dating when rocks fossilized, dating when stalactites and stalagmites grew, it's an inaccurate way to gauge how old things are or how long things have been happening. And so that is not how I'm going to uh, work through this evidence. It has nothing to do with dating. This has to see observable, uh, observable science. First of all, this is probably, fossils are probably my favorite. The first point is the fossils of sea creatures that are found so much higher than the sea level. And not only are these fossils found like impossibly higher than where they currently exist, but they're fossilized with plants and with land animals in the same strata, in the same rock segment. How does that happen if there wasn't a flood that got them up there and then pressurized it in, in a short period of time? Because if the sea level was higher and then pressure caused the, the formation of the fossil over millions of years, it wouldn't have been fossilized with the, the plants, land plants, and land animals. That just couldn't have happened in that period of time. They were fossilized rapidly under that extreme pressure of being underneath water. I was, if you've ever watched videos of submarines and how the lower and lower and lower they get into the ocean, you know, you hear the the steel moaning and cracking and they say, oh, we can't go much farther. There's too much pressure. The glass will crack, the steel will crack. Even though it's meant to withstand so much pressure, there just comes a point where underneath water, it just pushes so far down that it causes those that rapid fossilization. The second is not just that the sea creatures were found way above sea level with land animals and plants the second is that they were there's the evidence of it being fossilized so rapidly underneath that pressure and the first time i saw a fossil of a mother giving birth a mother animal giving birth 
I was just like, whoa, you can, you can see the bone structure coming out of the mother. And it's just like the cement. If you've ever seen how cement has to keep moving to stay wet and to stay in that fluid formation until, until there's enough air and oxidation for it to dry. That's what I kind of want you to understand as far as the movement of sand and the movement of sediment and the movement and the current of the waters that that just comes like a landslide onto these animals. And so you'll see that here's this mother giving birth to her, her child and the mudslide comes and the sediment overtakes it and then the, the heaviness of the rains and the waters and that pressure underneath the water just seals them in there. Not only do you see that, you'll see animals who are in the classic asphyxiation being suffocated and they're trying to grab air with their head up and their back arched and then they are sealed because again, it happens so fast and they're just trying to breathe and the pressure comes as they the mud holds over them and they're fossilized in that manner. And then you see soft vertebrae that if they were fossilized over millions of years, they don't have the structure to retain their fossil because they're soft. But there are so many instances of fossilized soft vertebrae who their entire structure was just sealed in moments and then pressurized in moments and so you get to retain the full picture of what that species looked like in that matter of time so not only were these sea creatures fossilized way above sea level with land animals with plants land plants they were fossilized almost instantaneously instantaneously they were covered and then sealed with that pressure. So the fossils are really easy to see and understand, but these next points talk about sediment layers. And so what I want you to really think about is cement and also Play-Doh. <laughs> because Play-Doh is one of those really frustrating toys because you can move them and, and you can shape them and you can bend them and can do so many cool things with them. And then you wanna show somebody and then you leave it out overnight and then it just hardens and cracks and it just loses its pliability just because it's been out for one day. And then, you know, what if somebody goes and tries to, you've built this thing and, and somebody goes to show it to somebody and they've touched it and they've made impressions. And so it changes in such a short period of time just because it's being touched, just because it's being handled. And so if you leave Play-Doh out for a whole week and every day somebody's touching the Play-Doh, by the end of the week, it's gonna have impressions, it's gonna have, um, uh, what's the word? I cannot. Let me look at the word. I know I wrote it down. Um, nope. I didn't write that one word down. <laughs> but um, you just have to understand that it changes. It has... Um, yep, that word's not going to be there. Maybe it'll come by the end of this video. But you can see that time... Erosion! 
erosion, time and erosion because of the laws of thermodynamics that everything digresses, that erosion happens over time. And cracking as oxidation and drying and sunlight happens, cracking happens on these things of Play-Doh, which is why when you have cement, that is why it has to be wet and it has to constantly be moving so that it doesn't harden, so that it doesn't oxidize, so that it doesn't erode in a structure that you don't want it to. So keep those two things in mind when I'm discussing these sediment layers and the strata. So first of all, this is so cool. So I brought a globe because, um, because it's helpful. If you look um, at the geological layers, I think it's amazing that God left specific places to where we can see the layers and we can collect um, deposits from those layers. But places like um, Tapit sandstone, the red wall limestone, these are types of sediment. Um, a sandstone, a limestone of the Grand Canyon, and that those are some sediments that they have taken out of the Grand Canyon where you can see the different layers. There's chalk beds of England and the white cliffs of Dover that you can see if you, um, you just see those beautiful white cliffs and those images in the sea down below, but you can see the individual sediment layers and you can test what type of rock that those are. Um, Western Australia has different cliffs that you can, you can see those levels of strata and you can again test the different types of sediment. Um, but there are specific cliffs and canyons that really declare the evidence of, of the worldwide flood. But in those layers, what you can see is that the sandstone and the limestone and the chalk beds, that they can be traced, that those deposits, because the flood actually started in its from the northeast and works its way towards the southwest. In, um, in America, you can see deposits that started in Pennsylvania, and yet they are over here in Arizona. How is it that this, this sediment from over here made it down here into the Grand Canyon, and yet it's just in one layer, and then there's another layer over top of it. How did it get there in a certain current? And they can see how the current shaped it, and they can see how over 10,000 square, no, 10,000 cubic miles sometimes, that these deposits just swept over and landed. That is a huge area to cover, and it's a huge area of stone and deposits. So they were carried from one place to another and within days deposited themselves before the next layer came. How do I know that it's within days and it's before the next layer came? Well, that is because, oh, so the, the fourth point, so three and four are kind of together. The fact that there's huge layers of sediment that happened within days in a northeastern to southwestern current shows that something massive had to carry that. And something massive, it's more than just a little local flooding. It is 
a huge global flooding that caused these deposits. So understand it wasn't local, it was continental. And you know what? We have things from Canada that made their way down to Arizona. So it was, it was huge, not just a local flood. So that was the point number three, huge layers that happened within days. But the fourth was that the same sediment deposits contained rock elements transported from the long distances, like from Canada or from Pennsylvania. Um, but how do you know that happened within days or within a short period of time? Going back to that Play-Doh scenario and cement. So imagine if that cement is being poured except for on a you know continental transcontinental global setting and whoosh it's just coming in and it is wet and it is it is just laying over there and it happened so quickly because if that cement had time to dry and if millions of years was happening between these layers there would be erosion between the different layers of strata but there wasn't because here's one layer and then just like a knife you can see that it's like a knife there's very little or no erosion between these different imagine just rolling out some play-doh and laying it there and then rolling out another layer of play-doh and laying it there and lay another 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 and it's just flat like you cut it like a knife and so, and that has to do with how heavy different, how heavy some sediment is versus other sediment and how things fall in water and their mass. And um, so that is where those sediment deposits come from. The fact that there is no erosion between them. There, was, there weren't people walking on it. There weren't animals walking it on it. There weren't roots of plants grounding themselves in there. Nothing like that. There was no sign of any life between these layers of strata. So that shows that the hypothesis of millions of years creating these fossils and creating these sediment deposits is inaccurate. So that was number five, the lack of erosion between dried sediment layers. Um, but six, this is one of my favorites, because you know how I was talking about the, um, if you have Play-Doh and you leave it out, if you had Play-Doh and you left it out for any period of time and then you tried to fold it, you know that there would be cracks right there because it has dried. And anything, any type of rock or anything that can become solid, whether it's clay or whatever, when it is dry at all and you fold it, it cracks. It shows that it was folded by a different force, but if you have something that's like this and then you pour concrete on it and you're pouring and you're pouring but there's such pressure of those water currents going up and up and up and then the next layer comes in up and up and up you know what it forms this shape while it's still wet like a potter shaping something and there are cliffs 90 degree cliffs with no cracking no cracking because it was formed when it was wet. That's crazy that there's so many layers that form in a 90 degree angle 
with no cracking and no erosion because it was just the pressure of the water and the wetness of the cement-like sediment pushing it up against there and then the next layer it just whoo keep going that is so cool <laughs> um there evolution doesn't make that happen a global flood makes that happen a massive flood with that pressure and those currents and those layers of of sediment collecting so those are the six main evidences fossils of sea creatures found high above sea level second is the rapid burial of plants and animals where you can see their shapes in positions that could never happen in millions of years especially those soft vertebrates um, the huge 10,000 cubic miles of layers of sediment that happened within days um, massive though that those same sediment deposits are transcontinental um, just come there's it wasn't a local flood and the lack of erosion between the dried sediment layers and six the facts that those sediment layers were created and shaped by wet water and like a cement type of sediment going up and over in the different layers and the different heaviness of, of sediment and rock types um, those are the six major points there's just so much evidence to support a global flood that you would have to be dishonest. Um, like I said, there are people who are evolutionists who will give credence to a widespread, gigantic flood that created these, um, these evidences. It's just that nobody wants to say how recent it was or how far spread it was, but the fact that, that the sediment deposits come from so far away and then they make their way to Arizona or they make their way to England or they make their way to Australia it shows that it was global uh, so again the pocket guide to the global flood if you want to understand it a little bit better have a little bit more detail um, have a little bit more specifics that is a great option for you the next video is on the privileged planet the Goldilocks planet why there had to be an intelligent designer and why creation has to be, well, why it's supported for sure.